As I say, we are going through Judges. And uh, if you keep your Bibles there, Judges chapter 6, verse 11 to verse 24. And uh, this evening we will look at verse 25, I think, to verse 33. Now, Jen Park uh, is one of the youngest ever winners of the lottery, the national lottery. She was only 17 years old when she won the lottery in 2013. She won, actually it wasn't a lot, she won one million pounds. But when she won that one million pounds, she has invested it in very well in some properties and she has become very rich. Uh, She's ten times, more than ten times richer than she ever was. Uh, Her life financially has been radically transformed. She says she has become rich, but yet she wishes she had never won at all. As she gave an interview recently to the Daily Record, where she said, people look at me and think, I wish I had a money, but they need to walk in my shoes to understand. I have material things, but apart from that, my life is empty. And then she asks this question, what is my purpose in life? She says, it is a sobering question that Jen Park asks. We are currently, as I said, in the Old Testament book of Judges. And if you were here last Sunday evening, we began looking at chapter 6. We looked at Judges chapter 6, verse 1 to verse 10. We saw in the evening that after 40 years of peace, Israel is back to what it does best. Uh, it is worshipping idols again. It has turned against God and turned to the idols of Canaan. And this idolatry that Israel now is, 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 what is engaging in has led to an inevitable result that we've seen through our judges. Uh, Israel has now fallen under foreign occupation. Uh, it's being oppressed by the Midianites. It, uh, Israel has found, like Jen Park, that idols of this world in the end, always let us down. Whether it is the money, whether it is sex, whether it is uh, even family or any other thing that we may idolize. In the end, those things can never ultimately satisfy us. They always let us down. And they always bring more problems in our lives than we ever imagined. And we see in Judges chapter 6 that after seven years of oppression, Israel is forced to cry out to God again. Look at Judges chapter 6, verse 6. We read these words, and it says, And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. They are crying out to the Lord for help, but we, knew, we know from what we looked at last week in the evening, these are crocodile tears. They don't mean it as they cry out in repentance, so to speak. Because verse 6 tells us that they haven't really, verse, verse 10 tells us they haven't really repented. When God sends this prophet to come and give an assessment of where Israel is at, he concludes with these words in verse 10 of Judges chapter 6. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. 
You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And then he concludes this. But you have not obeyed my voice. They have not repented. They have cried, but they have not repented. Israel has not welcomed God. That is where we left the story Sunday evening. It is a cliffhanger, isn't it? Because God wants to help them. They are being oppressed. God wants to help them. But actually when God looks at them, He says, you're crying, but you have not repented. So what is God going to do? He's in a tricky situation. How do you help someone who abuses you every time you try and offer them help? That's the challenge God is facing with Israel. And the natural thing for all of us, we know this in our own relationships, in life, what we do eventually, we just do it. We just walk away. That happens. But you see, God is not like us. And we shall see in today's passage that he still wants Israel to welcome him in their lives, to live and enjoy his peace. And this is what God desires for each and every one of us here this morning. He wants you to be with him. He wants you to enjoy life with him. He doesn't want you to run to other things. He wants you to look at God and say, God is all I ever wanted and is all I ever need. So the question we are asking this morning is a very simple one. Have you welcomed God fully, fully in your life? Are you living with him and enjoying, I like that, enjoying being with him? Well, this morning I want to give you two reasons. Just two reasons. You like this. We do normally three points or four points. This morning is just two reasons why you need to fully welcome God in your life. And I want to show from those two points what welcoming God actually looks like in our lives, to welcome Him fully. And we'll learn this by looking at this amazing encounter between God and Gideon. And hopefully you should have the outline in front of you as you came in. Uh, if you're writing this down, the first point, you haven't got an outline, but the first point is this. We, you should welcome God in your life because God has not given up on us. God has not given up on you. Let's look at verse 11. We see from verse 10, actually, that the prophet sent by God, as I said, has spoken to Israel. And we see from verse 10 that Israel has not repented. But we've seen that instead of God now throwing in the towel, he sends an angel in verse 11. Look at verse 11. He says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah. We pause there just now. Who is this angel who has come down at Ophrah in Israel? Who is it? Well, we, read, we last read into him in Judges chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. We ran into him at Boshim when Israel disobeyed against God and he came down to pronounce judgment. 
He was pronouncing judgment then because Israel had not fully occupied the land. Now he's coming because Israel has not fully repented. And do you remember what we said about this angel? We said this is the same angel that appeared to Abraham before destroying Sodom. We said this is the same angel that appeared to Moses by the burning bush. We said this is the same angel that appeared to Joshua before the fall of Jericho. This angel of the Lord is what we call a theophany. It is God providing himself to his people in the Old Testament in human form. This is God appearing as a man. And we'll soon, that this, we'll soon see that this angel speaks as God. We'll see that he's even in this passage addressed as the Lord himself. So I want you to think there, to pause and reflect. Because what we're seeing here is God coming down to sit under the terrapin in Josh's farm. God is coming down as a man to sit under a tree. In case you don't know what a terrapin is, I had to look that up myself. It is a tree. It's apparently an oak tree. And God has come down and he sat under this tree. He has come after they have refused to repent. He has come because he has not given up on Israel. Why is God sitting under a tree? Well, we are told in verse 11, he has come to meet Gideon. Let's finish reading that verse. Verse 11 says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the tree or under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abiezerite. Joash belongs to this, the tribe of Manasseh, and within the tribe of Manasseh there is this clan called the Abiezerite. And God has come to sit under this tree owned by Joash, because his son, while his son Gideon, the son of Joash, was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. God has come down. But Gideon hasn't seen God. You should note that because God has not yet made himself visible to Gideon. This is like God coming down in your open, open plan office and he logs on to the computer, perhaps diagonal from you. He's there sitting in your office. That's what he's doing. But he's still invisible. You can't see him. But he's there in the office. He's in your world, but you can't see him. And God is there at Gideon's farm, at Joash's farm. And as, as God looks at Gideon, he notices something strange. He, he, God notices that Gideon is using the wrong instrument to do his work, to do his job. Did you notice that in verse 11? Gideon is beating out wheat in this round, curved pit out of the rock. Uh, this wine press, this pit actually is used, what Gideon is doing is building out his wheat in this round curved pit, but it's actually used for crushing grapes to, to make wine. It is a wine press. Gideon is not meant to be using this thing. What he's meant to be using is to be beating wheat on the threshing floor. But he can't use a threshing floor because he's hiding from the Midianites. They might see him. 
They might see what he's doing, so he decided to use this round pit, which is a bit deeper even, so that he can be safe from them. He's probably looking behind him, wondering who's there, and he's worrying for his, for, for his safety. You see, if the Midianites see the wheat, they will come and take it off. This is how life looks like for Gideon and his people. They live in constant fear of attack. And they have only themselves to blame. Because they have rebelled against God. They have refused to turn away from the false gods of Canaan. I want to suggest or declare this morning that this is what sinning against God does to us. It reduces us to living under terrorism, so to speak. It reduces us to hiding even as we do our work. Worrying as we do the work. Their life is not going very well. But the amazing thing is that God has not given up on them. Because he is here. He is sitting under their tree. He is identifying with them in their rebellion. God still wants to be with them. It's as if by God coming down and sitting under this tree, he's saying, look, I have not given up on you. He's saying, I'm still here. I still want you. I still want to be in a relationship with you. I want you still to welcome me. I will not let you go. And friends, this is the God of the Bible. He never washes his hands of us. No matter how much mess you make, he never washes his hands of you. Maybe you are currently trying to decide whether to fully commit to God in your life. You're trying to decide whether you should, this God of the Bible is for you. Do I really want to give up everything, you know, this relationship I might, I might be in or, or this, this, this sin that I'm engaged in and just surrender my life to God? Do I really want to do that? You're trying to decide. You know this is God how he is, but you're still sitting on the fence. I might say your relationship to God is a bit like going on a date. You're testing the waters. You're trying to see, is God really for me? Do I really want to commit to him? Well, God is saying to you in this passage, this is who I am. I am still loving you, so welcome me fully in your life. Not part of me, all of me. God is saying to you, stop dating me. Marry me, so to speak. Surrender your life to me. I want full commitment. Welcome me because I have welcomed you. I have come and sat under your tree. When I was growing up, we had this massive tree in Chilenge. You know, in an African culture, tree are a sign of hospitality. You go there, when I go to the village, immediately ushered to the nearby tree and sat up. My grandmother will have a talk with me. Sign of hospitality. God, in this culture, by him coming to sit under this tree, owned by Joash, is signaling, he's welcoming them in his life. And they must welcome him. He's saying, I have not given up on you. And that's the first reason. The first reason we should welcome God is because he has welcomed you. 
God has not given up on you. He has not given up on us. Here is the second and final reason. The second reason is that we should welcome God because God has actually come to share life with you. He has not just, you see, God has not simply come to welcome you from a distance for you to welcome him, so to speak, from a distance. He wants to be with him and enjoy being with him, to share life with him. So let's go back to Joash's farm. God is watching Gideon. Now something happens. God makes himself visible to Gideon as an ordinary human being. Look at verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. It's a bit of a joke that isn't obviously the Lord has a good sense of humor. Gideon is hiding. But the Lord sees the end from the beginning. He knows what he wants to do with Gideon. And he says, O mighty man of valor. We shall say more about that this evening. God is saying to Gideon, I am with you even though you are a rebel. But Gideon is baffled by God's word, by the stranger. You know, he thinks, who's this man who's talking to me like that? Look at verse 13. And Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. You know, when you read the Bible, you should get into the world and sense what, what, is Gideon, what is Gideon's tone here. Gideon sounds frustrated. He's trying to be polite, but he's frustrated. He's saying, look, okay, you're saying God is with us. Fine, I hear you. So why am I hiding like this? Because I like hiding? If God is here, why has he not done the same thing he did in the past? Gideon is like, my friend, you you don't have to be a genius to see we are in a mess here because God has abandoned us. And we should know that Gideon is upright because Gideon, that is in verse 1 already. Do you remember what we read in verse 1 last week? The people of the Lord did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Uh, Gideon is right, God is disciplining them in some sense. But Gideon is only telling half of the truth. He has forgotten to mention that they are there because they have sinned against God. He is blaming God instead of accepting that they are in a mess because it is their sin that has come, has brought them here. You see, friends, sin has blinded everyone in Israel, including Gideon. They cannot see their need to repent. And that's what sin does to all of us. Sin blinds us to our sin itself. That's why it's so hard to deal with it. So how will God respond now? Look at verse 14. And the Lord, notice that it is God now, okay? The angel of the Lord is the Lord. And the Lord turned to him and said... Go in this mighty of yours and serve Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. Gideon has just been appointed as a new savior of Israel. 
God has just brushed aside his complaint and given him a new task. And as Gideon hears these words, he's a bit shaken. <laughs> Maybe this man is a prophet. So let me make it a few things clear to him, just in case he gets carried away. Look at what Gideon says in verse 15. And he said to him, that's, and that's Gideon responding, Please, Lord, how can I serve Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Gideon is basically saying, look, if you are from God, please tell God. Uh, no one likes my family. No one even cares about me. Look, I have no qualifications, sorry. I can't do it. Empty excuses. And God is not buying it. So he gets straight to the point. Look at verse 16. And the Lord said to him, But, yes, it is true. But, I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. You will knock them out as if they were not an army, but a single person. God is saying, I will do everything for you. So what's your excuse now? I think the penny now begins to drop, if it has not already dropped. Gideon gets it, that this must be an angel of God. And if he is, I cannot refuse if this is from God. So first, I need to make sure, though. I need to just make sure. <coughs> so he asks for proof. Look at verse 17 to verse 18. <coughs> and he said to him, that is Gideon, if I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he, that is God, said, I will stay till you return. Amazing. God agrees to wait for Gideon under the tree. And can you imagine God waiting for a sinner patiently while they go off and do their business under a tree? What a loving and compassionate God is. There is no God like our God. This is a God who is never in a hurry. He has come to be with Gideon and is getting involved in Gideon's life. And getting involved in Gideon's life includes waiting for Gideon. We don't know how long Gideon is going to go for. I would guess about two hours. And God is just sat there under that tree. We should not in passing, friends, that sadly many of us are like Gideon. We like to make God wait for us. God is calling you to be with him, to surrender your life to him. But you're saying to him, wait for me until I make sure. God has called some of you to be with him from being born in very good Christian families. Since your infancy, you've always had someone who's explained the scriptures to you. Your father, your mother has taken you to church, or your grandmother perhaps. And you're still saying, wait for me until I make sure. 
I want particularly just to say to the young people, friends, don't wait until you are 30 to surrender your life to Christ. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. It's never too early. Don't say until I'm 18, then I'll make up my mind. You never know when the Lord may take you from this life. Don't make your God wait for you under that tree. Respond to him. Respond to him now. And I think of some of us who have already come to Christ. And God has deposited tremendous gifts in you. He's calling you to serve him now. To answer the call now. Don't make him wait. You're saying, Lord, you know, I'll start evangelizing when I'm comfortable. I'll start coming and, you know, speaking to that sister about her need for Jesus when I have time. I know something about waiting, keeping God waiting. And I think when you reach that moment when you know that God wants you to serve him and you start serving him, you live with such regret because you look at your life and how much you've wasted. If only I had answered the call sooner. Friend, God loves you and God cares for you. I don't know what God has called you to in your own life. But God loves you and God cares for you. You're you're born again. Yes, maybe. Maybe. I, I wasn't there. Maybe you are born again. And you know it in your heart. And if you are, don't keep him waiting. Do what is right. Set things right in your life. And start getting involved in serving God. The English says it's rude to keep people waiting. It's rude. But it's even more rude to keep God waiting, isn't it? It's much worse than that. Do not keep God waiting. Attend to him now. So let's go back to Gideon. We see that Gideon has been keeping God waiting. And he goes to prepare a large meal. I just want to say that the meal Gideon has prepared here is very large. And he comes back and presents it to God. Look at this in verse 19 to verse 21. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat. A young goat for one person. And by the way, a young goat is the finest food you could ever prepare at this time. When he tells us a young goat, he's telling us, fine meat. This is Angus beef, so to speak, if you're into that sort of thing. And he gets that young goat and, and living cakes from an ephah flower. And the ephah is so large that you can fill a whole person in the ephah tank. And he's taking some of that large chunk of that flour and he's preparing this. And the meat, he put it in a basket and the broth, he's made it nicely. This is the meal. And he's brought it to him, to God under the terrible, and presented it to them. I mean, he's there, perhaps even for the help. This is massive banquet. Because his heart is changing now. And he's got this soup here, the broth and the cake. And, and the angel of God said to him, that's the Lord really speaking, and take the meat and the unleavened cakes, in verse 20, and put them on this rock and pour the broth of this, uh, this, 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 this uh, stew over them. And he did so. And we are told in verse 21, Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand 
And he touched the meat and the unleavened curds, and, and fire sprang up from the meat. Well, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. The food has been presented. The angel touches it and is consumed in fire. That's how God eats, I guess. (laughs) He's kind of eaten it, I guess. He's taken, he's accepted the gift from Gideon. And he's given him his own burning bush experience. Now reality dawns. When you see something like that, it dawns on you, doesn't it? Look at verse 22. Gideon now gets it. Then Gideon perceived, he understood that that he was the angel of the Lord. That he had just encountered God himself. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And Gideon is now thinking to himself, I have been so foolish. Why do I always open my mouth like this? I put my foot in it again. I have now done it. The end has surely come to me. I should have been more polite. But God has only disappeared from his eyes. He has not left Gideon. Because God has come to be with him. And God now speaks to him. Look at verse 23. I think God is speaking to him very tenderly. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Now we can picture Gideon's face as he takes in those wonderful words. How do you think Gideon looks? I think he's smiling. I think he's full of joy. I think he now knows that God is with him, that God has come to be with him, not to do him harm, but to to really cause him to be in a loving relationship with him. God is now his friend, and he knows this. And he's smiling, and he's very happy. And we know Gideon is very happy because Gideon grabs his new friendship with God with both hands. Look at verse 24, her final verse. Look what Gideon does. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace, or the Lord is shalom. To this day, it still stands. That is the day that the, the, the historian of Judges is writing. To this day, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abiezerah. Gideon has encountered God and he has built an altar of peace. This altar is to pray to God on this altar, to sacrifice to God, but it's also there as a remembrance that he has encountered God. He's saying, look, I know this God now. He doesn't ever want to forget this sweet moment. Now, the original word for peace there is shalom, isn't it? Shalom, friends, is not just an absence of oppression, but wholeness in relationship with God and others. When we have shalom, it's having that harmonious relationship with God, delighting in God, in His sweet service. It's a sweet covenant restored. And Gideon is saying, God has now restored the relationship with me. He is my friend, and I enjoy shalom with Him. And this building sort of I've said, as a living photograph. They didn't have photos in these days. They don't have that. So he's going to do something. He's going to build this. So every time he's walking around Dofa, he can look at this altar and be reminded that he now has a flourishing life with God. And you know the good news of this? The good news for us here is that Gideon's altar of peace 
is not a merely historic object. It points us forward to a new altar of peace that God builds 1,200 years later. It is not an altar made with human hands. It's built by God himself. In fact, it's not even a thing. It is God himself coming as a human altar of peace. This order of Gideon and Ophrah, the Lord is peace, is pointing us to Jesus himself, a person, the prince of peace. This Jesus who has come and has brought us true shalom or peace with God. I love the words of Paul in Romans 5, verse 1 to 2. He says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith. Into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. In Jesus friends we do not just have shalom with God. We do not just have peace with God. In Jesus we also have the peace of God. Because you see, Jesus has come to live in our hearts. He makes us live right with God, but He's there moving us, moving within, helping us to live in God and giving us that peace. True peace is not a word. The peace you are looking for, the joy, the, 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 the harmonious relationship, the wholeness you are looking for in life, it's not something you can do on your own. It's a person, and His name is Jesus. And I want to say to you this morning, until you welcome the Prince of Peace in your life, you can never have true harmony or wholeness. And it's the same thing for us as a country as we reflect on many challenges going on as a nation. Until this country welcomes Jesus, the Prince of Peace, we will never have peace. We'll solve one issue and move on to the next. So can I invite you to welcome this Prince of Peace? Maybe you are already, you are not yet a follower of Jesus. What does welcoming the Prince of Peace mean for you? What does welcoming look like? Well, it means true and genuine repentance. In 2011, you remember that Scotland Yard concluded its long investigation in that phone hacking scandal involving the news of the world. The news of the world had hacked into Millie Dowler's voicemail. And it caused uproar throughout the country. And the news of the world was forced to admit it had done something terribly wrong. So in its last ever edition, it published a full-page editorial, apologizing for the hacking of phones. And do you remember what that editorial said? Hopefully not, because you don't read, hopefully you, you never read the news of the world. But this is what he said. He said, quite simply, these were his last words, quite simply, we lost our way, phones were hacked, and for that, this newspaper is truly sorry. And with those final words, what did the news of the world do? It closed its business. The news of the world's repentance was matched by its words. It closed its business. People would not have believed the news of the world had repented if they had kept on still printing. And friends, this is what repentance is. 
It is not simply crying about your sin, but a complete shutdown of sinful business. A total radical change of direction. And this is how you must welcome Jesus. Admitting truly, honestly, you are a sinner. Accepting the death of Jesus for your sins and surrendering your life to him forever. That's what it means to be born again. Don't be deceived. Many of us think we are born again. But have we shut down? Has a change happened in our life that has shut down the business of sin? Not perfection, but a new vocation of living and trusting Christ. Our church are full of many people that lack genuine confession. Don't be one of them. Maybe you are already a true follower of Jesus. What does it mean for you to welcome Jesus? It means resting and enjoying life with him. You are a believer. Many of us are here true believers. And yet if you are honest, there are moments you look at your life and sometimes you struggle to rest in Jesus. You struggle to enjoy Jesus. You have encountered him like Gideon, but you are still fearing. And I just want to say to you, perhaps you are in that season of your life right now like Gideon. You are saying, if God is still here, why am I struggling like this? Where is the peace I once knew when I came to Christ? Well, the message of Judges is that Jesus is sitting under your tree. He is right here. He is saying to you, I've come to be with you forever. I am not distant. So rest in me. Rest in the fact that no matter how much mess you make, you have peace with God and the peace of God. Rest in the fact that no matter how much mess you make, you have been welcomed into the loving arms of Christ. Rest in the fact that it is not about how you feel or what other people say about you that matters. What matters is that Jesus has welcomed you to himself through the cross. He has done this for you. The gospel is a gospel that calls us to rest in Christ. So the message this morning is stop looking elsewhere. Stop looking to yourself. Welcome God. Welcome Christ by resting in Jesus and what he's done for you. And this evening, we see what welcoming God does to us. It doesn't make us lazy. It doesn't make us tolerate sin. Oh, welcoming God means tearing down the altars of Baal in our backyard. And we see as Gideon now, having welcomed God, must deal with sin in his own family. But, don't get worried, we are not starting to preach on that just now. That's for the evening. The point I want to leave you with you this morning is that God has welcomed you. So welcome him. Amen.